Uh, you may have heard this before, but it was a, a write-up called Signs That Seem Appropriate. And these are actual signs that are around different places. For instance, on the nursery of a church, uh, a sign says this, 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty one. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. <laughs> okay, I thought it was funnier than you, but I'm keep going anyway. All right. On maternity room, and, and I actually saw this one. A maternity room door, it said, push, push, push. <laughs> okay. An optometrist's office said this. If you don't see what you're looking for, you have come to the right place. Isn't that good? Okay, all right. How about this? A taxidermist had it in their window. We really know our stuff. <laughs> okay, I still liked it. All right, this is my favorite one. You ready? On a plumbing company's van, on a plumbing company's van, it says this, a flush beats a full house. <laughs> wow. All right, has nothing to do with the sermon. I just thought I'd have a little fun. And uh, the call of Jonah, Jonah 1, chapter 1, verse 1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, arise, Go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come before me. Uh, Real quickly, I think it's worth pointing out that the word great, that actual Hebrew word is used over and over again in this little small book. We see it's a great city. It was maybe the largest city of its day. Uh, We hear of a great wind. We hear of a great storm. We hear of great fear, of a great fish, of great happiness and great displeasure. And when you take the time and look at Jonah, God is trying to make a very clear point. And, and he uses Jonah on purpose to show uh, uh, an extreme view of grace, an extreme view uh, of, of what it means to be in the hands of a God who moves. Uh, a lot of people ask this question, why did God choose Jonah? And I think in a minute we're going to really begin to understand why he would choose him. Because in the end, what happens is Jonah actually gets a little rebellious as God's grace is extended in a greater way. And so what does God do? He says, I want you to go to this city. Now, we got to understand that the city of Nineveh was probably, if not the largest, one of the largest cities of its day. But it was a group of people that worshipped any god other than God. And it was a group of people known for being very barbaric and and very abusive. And when they subjugated people, they treated them with incredible horror and, and brought havoc into their lives. And God looked at that city and said, I want you to go to them. I want you to go to them. Notice what it says in verse 3. But, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Uh, the city of Tarshish in that day was considered the very ends of the earth. Uh, it, was, it, it was thought that if you went any distance beyond Tarshish, you probably wouldn't even, uh, uh, there, you would fall off. There was nowhere else to go. And so uh, what Jonah did is rather than going to Nineveh as God called him to do, he went in the opposite direction, literally as far away as he could. And his goal was to go to a place where God's presence would not be. Now, you and I know that that's literally impossible, God is everywhere. He's omnipresent. You can't flee from his presence. In Psalm 139, verse 7, it says, Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascended to heaven, you were there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you were there. If I take on the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. If I say, surely darkness has overwhelmed me, and the light around me will be light, be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you, and the night is as bright as day. Darkness and light are alike to you. 
Now, I, I think that psalm's interesting, especially when you explore it based on who Jonah is, because he literally goes to the ends of the earth to run from God, and God is there. He goes to the very depths of the sea, and God is there. We can't get away from the presence of God. But there's kind of an interesting um, uh, a complexity to this, a, a strain to this, and a balance to take. While God is literally everywhere, it's literally possible by being disobedient not to have his presence available in our life. To, to actually sense that God is not connected to us, the sense that he's not. It's kind of this great paradox. While God is everywhere, we actually have the ability to leave him. And Jonah didn't leave the presence of God in his life when he got on that boat, when he aimed for Tarshish. He left the minute he decided he did not want to be obedient to the Lord. He, God and Hebe had an estrangement happen. Uh, it would be very much like a couple who was married and they get into one of those fights and they sit in the same room and they feel like this huge barrier between them. And while their, their, their physical presence is close by, there's such a cutoff of a connectivity and intimacy that it's like, oh, I, I can't believe it. And, and you know what, Pam and I, I mean, we love each other and I think we have a great marriage, but we've had some of those moments where, where man, we have just been in such tension. By the way, just tonight as we went to sit down, I crossed my leg and kicked Pam really hard, so. <laughs> I'm sorry, but uh, uh, but I, I've I've had we've had times where you know what we're sitting in the living room, and I want to say this, and some of you would relate. Maybe we've never felt more lonely with the person we love sitting right there, but because something's come up, something's separated, and 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 Jonah. You know what, the minute he said, God, I don't want your presence, even though he really truly couldn't flee from the presence of God, the, the bottom line is that it already has exited his life. And, and you begin to see this guy who, it, it appears at one time had such a connected relationship with the Lord. I gotta say this, he, he definitely, as we study this book, he knew the Lord, but he, he, he moved against him and, and he ran away. Now the reason he ran is because to the, the Israelite people, there was nobody they hated more than the Ninevites. You need to understand he ran for a racial reason. He was a racist. God chose a racist to bring reconciliation between God and the people that he's aiming at. There's nobody who's beyond God's love. God loves everyone. God desires for everybody to be saved. And and, as a matter of fact, hold this and turn over to 2 Samuel 14, 14. uh, And look at this verse with me. I was just studying this in my quiet time a couple days ago. And uh, listen to the heart of God as the wise woman of Tekoa speaks. And uh, I think this is so interesting to what it says here. 2 Samuel 14, 14. And it says this here. It says, she is talking to King David. And she says, for we will surely die and are like water spilled on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. Now, now there, we all know that, and that's kind of an amazing picture of our lives. It's like water spilt, and once it goes, that's it. And then it says, yet God does not take away life. Now, now notice the next line. But plans ways so that the banished one will not be cast out from him. Did, did you catch that God, God looks at Nineveh and says, I, I don't want to destroy them. I may have to, but I don't want to. And, I, and he goes, I devise ways, I plan ways, I do whatever I can so that the one who's banished from me, the one who's far from me, would be brought back to me. This is the heart of God. And it's very interesting the kind of words that are used here. The word plans 
and we're going to talk about this in the fall, is the same word that many of us, when we grab hold of in Jeremiah 29, 11, where we quote that passage and rightly quote it, where God says, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans of good and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. And the word plans there is a Hebrew word that literally means, I know what I interweave into your life. Uh, I know what kind of things I pour into it. Uh, uh, please, we're going to really get into this in the fall, but i got to say it now. We need to understand that not everything that happens is God's will. But God says, I know what kind of plans I have. I know what I interweave into the midst of your life that is from me. And every time I interweave and every time I interject or interpenetrates, another way to say that, it's always to bring good to give you a future, to give you hope. God says, I'm always working on that. And, and that's the very same word that's used here, where it says that, that God but plans ways so that the banished one would not be cast out from him. By the way, I really believe what happened is God took Jonah and knew Jonah would run the wrong direction, and he interweaved this so much. Why? Because it would bring a greater good in the end, and we're going to see how God did that a little bit even tonight. The next thing you need to know in this verse that's very interesting, it says, but God plans ways. The word ways is a very interesting word. It's actually, literally, God uses a texture machine. Uh, uh, and if you haven't thought about it, a texture machine would have to have a lot of planning go into it because as you would begin to, to use it to make a garment, you would have to know when the threads were to hit so you would get the very look that you want. And so God says, I'm planning out in the end the very beautiful look I want to have happen, and I'm devising it and with intricacy like a texture machine to cause all this to come together. Uh, the word uh, also is used, he contrives, he is cunning. I like that when God goes, I cunningly plan ways to get your attention. And God's really good at that if you haven't caught it. And uh, uh, so the Lord just says, you know what? I plan ways and, and do this so the banished one wouldn't be cast off. It also interests me, whether it does you or not, that Second Chronicles 2.14 uses this very term, this word ways, this texture machine word, when it talks about Hiram. And God says, he goes, I have given Hiram such wisdom that he can figure out any device. In other words, he was a guy in his day, if you put any puzzle in front of him, he could figure it out. Any machine in front of him, he could figure it out. If Hiram was around today, he would be able to run Mac and Windows and he would know what those error messages mean. <laughs> you know, and, uh, you know, and so that's who he was. But it says, I've given him wisdom to be able to figure out anything and he has the ways, the device, the textured ability to bring together silver and gold and every material into beauty. And that's what God says he's doing here. He says, you know what? I, I look at people and I care about them and I love them and I don't want their lives to be taken. And I plan everything I can to bring out a beautiful picture of what would occur. And by the way, in Jonah, we really begin to see this happen. And, and, and so we see Jonah saying, man, I just want to run from God. I want to get away as quick as I can because I don't want the Ninevites to be saved. So I want to ask the question, who is it that you don't want to be saved? You know, I, I would hope that we would all go, well, that's not even a right question to ask. I mean, don't we want everybody to be saved? But I want to ask this, okay, rather than asking it of us individually, what about the church, the, the, the Christian family in the United States? Are there pockets of us that actually don't want other people to be saved? I mean, when we announce that so-and-so has become a Christian... Aren't there groups that do everything they can to attack them and shoot at them and they use the internet in particular? By the way, whenever anybody quotes the internet, I always, in my mind, goes, then it must be false. 
You know, uh, you ever hear the word internet? It's like, okay, don't trust it. But, but isn't that true? Aren't there certain political candidates that, man, we just, you know, that, that people want to condemn to hell? Are there particular groups who have a difference with us that we just deep down don't want them converted? And, and, and isn't there pockets of hatred like that? Uh, I actually was at a conference that was just eye-opening years and years ago. Uh, and what happened is a Ugandan pas- pastor was talking about EDMN. And he was telling about the atrocities that Christians were experiencing in Uganda and trying to get us to, to understand the plight of our brothers and sisters undergoing some of the most intense persecution the world has ever known. And so what happened when he was done, and we're like, whoa, man, this guy, and he had this amazing, God had just anointed him and spoken that British accent. And, and then we went to a time of prayer, and, and one of the pastors starts praying, and, and this pastor is praying that God would judge EDMN. And all of a sudden, you hear noise, and, and, and we all look up, and the pastor from Uganda is running over going, no, no, no. That's not how we pray. We don't pray for God's judgment upon him. We pray that EDMN would be saved. We pray that he would turn to the Lord. We pray that he would be forgiven. And he had just described atrocities. Now, now I want to have you think, is, which one sounds more like Jesus. Clearly, Jesus says we want everybody. We want everyone. Uh, uh, we want to rejoice. We wanna, and, and we see that all the time. Uh, I talked with Manny about this, but one of the most amazing stories, I think, of this is Corey Tinboom, who was actually arrested and put into a Nazi prison camp. And, and, and her, her sister literally was abused to the point that she died in there. And one guard in particular was the meanest, cruelest of all. And then she ended up surviving and coming to the United States and, and, and being an amazing woman in, in Christianity and writing and speaking and, and talking about the love of God and God working in those kinds of situations. Well, she went back to Germany. And when she was in Germany, she was in a setting with the church and, and she got up to speak and looked out and sitting in the audience was that very guard. And, and she said at first she was stunned. And all the pictures came back in her mind of what he had done to her sister. And uh, she ended up speaking, and when she was done and it was over, they took communion together, and he walked up to her, and he was already crying, and he said, can you forgive me? And she said, I already have. And he said, I, I'm, I'm a Christian now. And she said, praise God, and grabbed him and hugged him. This man who had been the worst enemy you could have that's what Christians do, and we know it. Hopefully we're not a Jonah who says, oh, so-and-so could be saved. Let me get away as fast as I can. And, and you know what? We, we, our greatest desire is that people would come to know this amazing love of God and this forgiveness of God and this grace of God. But Jonah's the opposite of it. He's the disobedient prophet. So God says, go to them, and he turns and runs as far away as he can. But here's one reason God chose him, because there's a group of sailors on a boat that God wants to have reached. So what does it say in verse 3? It says, So he went down to Joppa and found a ship and was going to Tarshish. Now don't, don't miss this. And he paid the fare. He paid the fare and went down in, uh, into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. You kind of get the idea he doesn't want to be in God's presence. But, but did you catch what happened? He had to pay. Whenever we go against the ways of God, it always costs us. 
We always have to pay. There's, there's never a time in the end that, that we're not going to somehow have to pay a cost. God is going to make sure that if you and I choose not to follow him, in the end it will cost us not to. And, and, the, and God in his grace does that because he wants us to understand the consequence of it, hopefully to awaken us to it. And so it's going to cost him an incredible amount of money to go the wrong direction. Now notice verse 4. The Lord hurled a great wind on the sea, and there was a great storm on the sea, so that the ship was about to break up. Then the sailors became afraid, and every man cried to his God, and notice this, and they threw the cargo which was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone asleep below in the hold of the ship, and had lain down and fallen asleep. Now I do think it's worth noting that when this kind of a situation happened, obviously the cargo is not that important. The most important thing to these men was their lives. That somehow we could live and survive. And God, by the way, the most important thing to him were these men in this moment so that he could touch them and move in their hearts. In verse 6 it says, So the captain approached him and said, How is it that you are sleeping? Get up and call on your God. Perhaps your God will be concerned about us so that we will not perish. Each man said to his mate, Come, let us cast lots so that we may learn whose account this calamity has struck us. So they cast the lot, and the lot fell on Jonah. And then they said to him, Tell us now, on whose account has this calamity struck us? What is your occupation? And where did you come from? And what is your country? And from what people are you? And then notice this verse 9. And he said to him, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord God of heaven. Which, by the way, does he? (laughs) No. I fear the Lord God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Now notice verse 10. Then the men became extremely frightened. Now now I want to ask you something that just strikes me in the midst of this. Notice who called for prayer. The the believer or the non-believer? It's the non-believer. Isn't that interesting? The one who doesn't know God says, hey, pray, pray, pray. You know, I, I got to tell you, sometimes, you know, we, we got to, it just kind of intrigues you. It's like, wow, you know, our first reaction ought to be to pray. Jonah should have jumped up and said, Lord, I know what's going on. But, but notice it's the one who, who doesn't even really have a relationship with God that turns and says, can you pray for this? I, I got to admit this, and maybe, I don't maybe you don't, but I, all the time I'm standing with people, and they, they run over and they say, you know, you're a pastor. And I say, yeah. And they say, this is going on in my life, and I'm going, oh, man, that's such a bummer. And then they look at me and go, but could you pray about it? And I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like that, that finally hit me, you know. And I don't know why. Are, are any of you slow like that? You know, it's like, you know, the, the non-Christian's going, but, yeah, isn't this the thing called prayer? Uh, would you do it? And, and they actually want it, and we're like, oh, sure, yeah. And, and you know what is, is I've got to tell you that, that when I, I finally started getting a clue about it's okay to offer prayer to people. They can say no. But you know what's interesting? I have never had anybody say no. Uh, you know, I was standing with a man who had a really bad heart problem and he was telling me about it and the guy's not a Christian. And I looked at him and I said, man, you know what? I, I don't know, maybe God would do something and touch you. Is it okay if I pray for you? And he goes, yeah. And I put my hand on his shoulder. He goes, now? And I go, yeah. And he goes, oh. Oh, and he got so excited. He got so excited about it. You know, I, I, I'm standing uh, 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 with a couple, and, and they're talking to me about their relationship, and they're telling me how tough it is. And I said, you know, I, I don't have all the answers, and, and I know you guys aren't with me in this, but I, I, I'm, I'm going to pray for you, but can I pray for you right now? And they're like, what? And I said, you know, I, and they're like, oh. And they got so emotional. And I put my hand on their shoulders, 
And this couple that's having this problem step close together and their arms go around each other and they start crying as I'm praying. You know, and, and I, I think that sometimes we, 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 we almost want to go, oh, I'll pray for you, and then we get away as quick as we can because it's uncomfortable. But when we begin to do that, God moves. And if someone says no, they say no. But, you know, it's just kind of amazing that I think this, I think most people who aren't Christians think that we actually like to pray. And by the way, they're right. And, and, and so, you know, it's kind of interesting to me that the captain goes, come on and pray. And then when they figure out what's happened and they said, you're disobeying God, and they go, oh, and it freaks them out. Jonah's not afraid. Jonah's sleeping through it. You know, Jonah gets up and actually goes, I fear the Lord my God. How much fear did he have? And, and, and it just amazes me that now these sailors, now they've gone from the point of saying, let's pray to any God to saying, oh my gosh, we're afraid of your God. And they're awakened in this, and it says this uh, in verse 10, then the men became extremely frightened, and they said to him, how could you do this? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them, they're going, how would you dare do such a thing? And again, it just so intrigues me uh, that these sailors, these what I'm going to call non-believers, men who didn't at this point know who the true God was, all now they're beginning to figure it out. They're caught up in this and they're saying, oh my God does these things and we can't offend him. And, and, and they were kind of catching on and, and, and Noah's caught in this moment. Verse 11 says, so they said to him, what should we do? What should we do to you that the sea may become calm for us? For the sea was becoming increasingly stormy. And he said to them, pick me up and throw me into the sea. And then the sea will become calm for you. And I know that on account of me, this great storm has come upon you. He said, you know what? There's only one thing to do. Pick me up and throw me in the sea. What's their reaction? Verse 13. However, the men rowed desperately to return to land. They were willing to say, forget it. Now, now have you caught, caught this amazing picture? These men would do anything to save his life. And he would do anything to make sure the people of Nineveh went to hell. The ones who at this point are just beginning to discover who God is would do anything to save a man who put them in harm's way. To do anything to save a guy who had brought the calamity on them. Save a man who had cost them all their cargo and may have brought bankruptcy to them. They would do anything for him. And uh, Jonah, Jonah wouldn't do one thing to help the other people, the Ninevites. The men, the women, the children. God even said he cared about the animals in Nineveh. And, and we've got this amazing switch in turn. And, and it's just incredible to see this happen. But you know what you see is, is you see the men begin to discover that there is a God and they do everything they can to make a difference. And in verse 14 it says, Then they called on the Lord and said, We earnestly pray, O Lord, do not let us perish on account of this man's life and do not put innocent blood on us, for you, O Lord, have done as you have pleased. And, and notice they, they now they say, God, you're too powerful, you're too big, you do what you please. Do you catch the knowledge of God that's welling up in these men? So they did pick up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. Now, I think that had to be a sight. Can you imagine? They pick him up going, God, please don't let this be upon us. The sea is blowing. As soon as he hits the water, calm. And they're like, oh, whoa, <laughs> you know, And uh, in this moment. It says, then, then the men feared the Lord greatly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the stomach for the fish for three days and three nights, which is what we're going to get to later on. 
I think that before we stop tonight, though, let's just talk about this. Uh, first of all, uh, talk about the whole idea of fear of the Lord. Uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And when these men discovered the fear of the Lord, uh, uh, they began to also become into an, an involved in an amazing truth. In Job 28, 28, it says this. And to the man, he said, God said, behold, the fear of the Lord, is, that is wisdom. And to depart from evil, that's understanding. If you want to know what wisdom is, God says, fear me. Know who I am. Know how great I am, how awesome I am. Uh, when you begin to understand that, you're starting to get somewhere. Uh, uh, there's benefits to the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 14, 27 says this. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may avoid the snares of death. Uh, you know, I want you to think about that. Uh, when, when you have a, a, a godly respect for God, a godly fear for God, it causes you to not want God to, to, to literally nail you. I mean, because he will. God does discipline. God does expose one of the passages in the Old Testament says, surely your sin will find you out. You and I might do secret sins, and God says, no way. I'm going to shine a light on it. And we, we ought to have that kind of reverential fear for the Lord. And, and we need to have that, and we need to understand that, that what happens is it doesn't inhibit us. It brings a fountain of life to us because now, out of a fear for God, we're not going to just go off and callously do something or shallowly do something. Or It becomes a fountain of life in us, and God says, I want you to have that. Proverbs 19.23 says, the fear of the Lord leads to life. Now, you ready for this? So that one may sleep satisfied, untouched by evil. Uh, we're not going to get into it tonight, but um, I think there's a fallacy out there. And you, and you, you wrestle through this because some of you may not agree with me on this. Get ready. I'm going to say something that not everyone agrees with, which is very often I say that anyway. Um, how about this? You ready? Uh, I think that we have the wrong view of sin as a Christian. If I walked up to most of you and said, man... How many sins do you think you committed this week? How, don't throw any numbers out, but just wrestle that. How many sins do you think you committed this week? And, and you know what? Most Christians go, man, probably more than I can count. I mean, I've probably sinned. And let me tell you, that's probably not the case. If you're a born-again believer, the Holy Spirit's in you. When you sin, conviction's gonna come. And, and you know what? Too often, I think we have this view well, I think we don't realize that when the Holy Spirit's in us, we actually find him moving us into doing what's right, causing us to move in the right direction. Now, am I saying we don't sin? No, I, I think we do. And by the way, sometimes we may ignore them, but the reality is we act like, you know, oh, we're just all this sinning, and, and, you know, poor God, and, and God's going, no, no, no. And I think sometimes we give the impression that God's an abusive father. Uh, if, if I had a young child and we're standing out in the church lobby and I walked around the corner and said, hey, dude, how you're doing? And he goes like this. Would you think I'm a good father? And by the way, is I, very often that's how I think we think of God. God goes, oh, you're doing this and this. Now, I think the Lord will tell you. He'll catch you. He'll go, wait, stop. And, and what I'm saying is this, is that, that when you become a believer and you really follow the ways of God, I'm not saying any of us are perfect, it really feels good to lay down at night and not have to feel like, oh, but I did this and I did this and I did this and I said that and it's going to come back to haunt me. It's pretty cool to, to get, get a letter and not think, oh, what are they going to say when I open it up or get an email and go, oh, no, did they find out? Because why? Because if you live in the fear of the Lord, you don't do those things. You don't talk behind people's backs. You don't attack them. 
You know, now, now, do we all at some points do that? Yeah, and that is sin. And I think deep down we know it because that's when we're afraid to open the email. That's when we lay down at night and, go, and God goes, by the way, before you go to sleep, let me remind you what you said. You know, like, oh, nuts, why'd I say that, you know? But the bottom line is when we, we do it right, we can lay in bed and, and we can have a, an amazing feeling of, wow, you know, Lord, it's not me, it's you. But it feels good not to have to lay here and apologize for for things that I did. It feels good to know that you're, you are causing me to grow. And, and, and I think we forget God's really good at that. I mean, God's good at getting us into that situation. Uh, Proverbs 23, 17 says, do not let your heart envy sinners, but live in the fear of the Lord always. Uh, the fear of the Lord keeps us from envying people who aren't following the ways of God. And, and I won't get into it tonight. Everything that means that we don't have to have everything they have in the world. We can be satisfied with the kind of life we experience. And, and then there's a reaction to the true fear of God. 2 Corinthians five eleven says, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest to God or open to God, and I hope that we are made manifest in your consciences. Now, now did you catch that? Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we do everything we can to bring the gospel message to people. Why are we doing a faith five day? Are you ready? In part, because we know the fear of the Lord and we want our friends to come into a relationship with God and not have to stand in judgment before God. Uh, it, it's, a, it, it's an impassioned movement in us. Knowing God is a loving God, but knowing God will judge. Uh, we, we've, it motivates us. It moves us. It, it causes us to cry. It causes us to, to plead. It causes us to beg in prayer over people. It causes us to be intentional in ways to try to share Christ with them uh, because we really do believe that God's word's true. By the way, Noah or Jonah goes, oh, I fear the Lord. He didn't fear the Lord. Number one, he was easily disobedient to him, paid a fare to do the wrong thing, and he's in the opposite place of where he's supposed to be. Uh, and, and the fear of God would hopefully keep us from doing that. And that's uh, one of the things we need to grab hold of. Uh, in Hebrews 13, 15 and 16, it goes, Through Jesus, let us continually offer up the sacrifice of praise, that is the fruit of our lips, that give thanks to his name, and do not neglect doing good and sharing for which, uh, such sacrifices God is pleased. Now, the, the sailors immediately, they, when they realize who God is, they said, I want to sacrifice to him. I want to give an offering to him. I want to do something for him. I can't help but to praise him. And you know what God says to you? He says, let me tell you what I want from you. I want you to never neglect doing good. That's the kind of sacrifice I love. I want you uh, to share with people. That's the kind of sacrifice I love. I want you to give me praise and, and give me the lips of praise. And, and that's the sacrifice that, that I love. Uh, by the way, let me ask you to think about this. Uh, if someone does something for you that's just over the top, I want to promise you, I think you can't help but to talk about them. You know, if I, I, I bumped into you and said, hey, uh, 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 would you mind walking out in the parking lot with me? And you're like, sure, yeah, come on. And we walk out there. I say, you know, I just the Lord put it on my heart, and I'm actually doing a little better financially than I thought. So I thought I'd like to give you this brand new car. It's yours. Here, here's the pink slip. It's your car. I have a feeling you might go tell people about me. I, I think you might go, man, Chuck's the greatest guy ever, you know? What if I said to you, hey, I know the housing market's a little slow, so I'd just like give you a house. You're like, what? Yeah, I just want to give it to you, and, and I'll pay the taxes on it. You just go live there. Don't you think you might go out talking about me a little bit? Say, oh, man, what if God says to you, I, I want to give you salvation. 
I, I literally do. I, I want to make sure you're in heaven with me and, and loved and cared. I want to forgive you of all your sins. I want to take away your guilt. I want to heal your hurts and pains. But you know what I really want to do? I want to adopt you. And I want to make you an heir of everything I have. And I want to share life. And what would the reaction to that be? It would be to turn and say, whoa, I can't quit talking about him. I can't quit speaking. The Bible says out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And, and, and that's what God says. You know, if you really love me, it's just going to come out. I'm not going to have to wait for it. And, and that's why we praise him. That's why we talk about him. That's why we share. And so we understand the fear of the Lord and understand something else. These sailors are so moved that they literally change and turn their life over to God. Then we get a hold of one other thing. And that's this. Did you catch that God chose Jonah on purpose and said, go here Jonah ran over here and all these sailors end up becoming believers. And you know what, God, God, I think that was God going, this is going to be great. This, Jonah's the perfect guy. I get a two for one here. You know, I get the sailors and I get Nineveh. And uh, I think that if we haven't caught it, you, you, where I'm going is, God said to Jonah, go to Nineveh. He ran the wrong way and God, the great weaver, interweaved around that discipline of Jonah and and a clear, clear showing of his glory and a love for the sailors. And you know what? God made that into a beautiful moment where Jonah gets swallowed by a fish and, and you're going to see later how that really worked out for the better. But the bottom line is this, is that these sailors are just going, God, we don't care that we don't have any of our cargo. We don't care that, we're, that, that, that we were in this storm now. What we care about is you and we just want to praise you and sacrifice to you. By the way, think about when they did that sacrifice in that boat, that, that's an animal less that they have to survive on. But they said, you know what? We just have come to know and, and love and trust in you. And God looks down and says, do you see? Look at the beauty of what just came from this. And God takes our, our disappointing times. And God takes our, our times of fault. And God takes our failures. And God takes our tries and our victories. And he interweaves his love around it. Because why? It says God is continually interweaving and creating this amazing, beautiful, textured fabric of your life that you just can't miss. And, and he does that with you, and he does it for you, and he does it with others around you. And, and when we step back, I think we're all going to just be amazed at what God continues to do. I want to ask you to think about this tonight. First of all, who, who is it you desperately want to have to come to know Lord Jesus Christ? I think we've got to have that impassioned desire. And so I'm going to ask us in a minute to pray about that and say, God, we just desperately want, and we'll name them to, to come to know you. I want to ask you this. Where are you at with the Lord? Would you right now say, I am literally, literally wanting to be completely obedient to him. I, I understand why I would have fear because he's awesome and, and the power of who he is, but I also understand his love. And would you be able to say, honestly, you're in a connected relationship with the Lord, that you know the Lord God. And if you don't, let me promise you this, he wants to know you. And tonight, what I want to ask you to do is, is if you need to, would you be willing to commit your life to Christ and literally say, I want this relationship. And, and God may use tonight to say, yes, come and be with me. Or maybe tonight, some of you might say, I need to recommit myself to him. And God draws you in. And how do you make this commitment? Well, you, you pray. And, and in a moment, I'm going to lead a prayer for anybody who wants to commit themselves to the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I know that you want us to have an incredibly intentioned desire, an impassioned desire to, to 
literally share with people about your love and who you are. And I hope, Father, we would want to share because you have blessed us so much and you have given us so much, we just can't help but to talk about you. And I hope we'd want to share, Lord, because we care about the people around us and there's nobody who we encounter in our life that we don't want to have come to know you. And Lord, I want to pray this. Tonight, if there's someone here who's struggling with that, maybe because they've been so let down, maybe because they've been so, so betrayed, so uh, treated so horribly, Father, I pray right now that you would begin to stir up on them and your love and your healing and they'd be able to let that go and, and they would begin to start all of a sudden finding love where they never found it before for maybe whoever it was that did this. A love that doesn't say what they did is okay. A love that says they still want this person to somehow come to a saving faith in you. Father, I pray right now that you would just be with any of us that are rebellious at times that we've ran and we've gone in the wrong direction. We're not living a life according to your interweaving and according to the, the plan you've laid out. And Lord, we want to just really, truly be on that path. And I pray you'd show us that. And Father, right now, I want to ask that your Holy Spirit come up in this room. And Lord, I pray you literally would anoint each one of us. I pray your spirit would move amongst us and in us and upon us. And I pray if there's someone here tonight who needs to commit their life to you, God, that you would begin to stir. They would feel it. They would know it. They would know this is their moment, whether they need to commit or recommit. And I pray in this time is going to be their time to do it. I want to ask that we keep praying, but I'm going to lead a prayer right now of commitment. And I'd like to ask any of you that really want to be in an intimate relationship with God or be reconnected to him to pray this with me. And I want to ask that if you're going to pray this prayer right now, right where you're sitting, to commit your life to the Lord or recommit, I would like to ask you, would you do this? Would you lift your hand in the air where I can see you so I know we're going to pray this together? Praise God. That is so awesome. Praise the Lord. Praise God for you over here too. Praise God. That is so incredible. And overall, praise the Lord right here for you and for you. Wow. And over here for you too. Praise the Lord. And right here and right here in the this section. There's, there's quite a few of you. Praise the Lord for you. And God knows each one of you by name. And all of you up there, praise the Lord. Wow. Wow, that's awesome. And over here, praise God for you too. Man, every single one of you, God loves you. He does. And as you whisper these words, he, he's, he treasures what you're about to say. So let's pray this together. Whisper this. Say, Lord Jesus, I know you love me. And I know you died on the cross so that my sins would be forgiven, so that I would be cleansed completely, so that you would heal my hurts and pains, so that you would draw me close to you, so that you would make me new and alive. And I know you did that out of love for me. So I say yes. I want that. And I want you. And I open my heart to you. Please fill me with your love. Please fill me with your spirit. And help me be who you've always created me to be. And help me live the life you have for me to live. Draw me close. And help me know you better and better. And this I pray 
In Jesus' name, amen.